my wife has an uncle. Uh, I think it's her great uncle, te technically, Uncle Lindell. And Uncle Lindell is a pastor uh, at an independent Baptist church in uh, San Antonio, Texas. If you're ever in San Antonio, you can go to Oak Knoll Baptist Church. Uh, I don't know if they're Baptist officially. They might just be Oak Knoll Church, but they're Baptist in every way that matters. Um, and you can go out there and you can, you can visit with, with Uncle Lindell. And uh, he's, he's getting older now, and he's got other men who've come and preach and fill the pulpit from time to time. But a wonderful man, but uh, he had a, a birthday party. I don't know if it was his 80th or something like that not too long ago. And I went to that, and his kids gave him a book. Uh, and the book was, was, was a book of quotes by Uncle Lindell. And Uncle Lindell, he's a country boy, and he, he has all sorts of fun little quotes that he has. And the title of the book was, If I Can Tell You a Rooster Can Pull a Freight Train, Then You Hitch Him Up. Right? Uncle Lindell believed that whatever he said, you could take it to the bank, and if he says that rooster can haul a freight train, then you, you hitch the rooster right up, and he'll take the freight train wherever he goes. Uncle Lindell believed that his word was that good. He's a good man. He's a good man, Lindell Kincaid. Today, we're going to look at what it is that we can truly hitch up to. What is it that when, when, when someone speaks, what we listen to? There's a lot of voices in this world that claim that they're authoritative. There's a lot of voices that say, if you'll do this and this, then your life will be whatever it is that you desire it to be. But, but we have a narrow focus today of what is the most authoritative voice that we're going to look at today. If you have your Bible, open up to the book of Mark. We're in Mark chapter 9 today. Mark chapter 9. Mark is the second book in the New Testament. If you have your Bible and it opens, this is the front, this is the back. Uh, so it gives you a little bit of a place. Matthew, Mark, Luke, then John. Okay, the second book in there, the book of Mark, the ninth chapter. What's been going on in the book of Mark so far is Jesus has been doing what Jesus does. He's healing people. He's teaching people. He's causing conflict with religious people. He's doing everything that he does for a regular, run-of-the-mill, Jesus Christ sort of life. And now Jesus has reached the point in his ministry where his disciples have finally begun to understand who he is. They thought he was a teacher. They thought that he was a rabbi. They thought that he was someone who could do miracles. But all of a sudden, right before this, uh, the, the, the apostle, the disciple, Simon Peter, made the great confession that Jesus Christ was indeed the Christ. He was the long-awaited Messiah for them. And so after this confession, the disciples, the rest of the book of Mark, is going to track how the disciples deal with that newfound knowledge. And Jesus uh, closes out uh, the story about him telling them about his death and resurrection in chapter 9. And he says this, he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. This verse is a challenging verse because if you read it, it looks a lot like Jesus is saying, Some of you will be here when the second coming occurs. What we would know as the second coming occurs. When Jesus Christ returns and he has the, the power and the majesty of Godhood and he takes over and dominates everything. But that's not exactly what Jesus is saying. What he's saying is some of you who are here with me, the 12 disciples who are with me right now, you will not die before you see the glorified Christ. You will see me fully revealed to you as who I am. You know, when Jesus came to earth, he took on flesh. That's a, that's a phrase that we use. He literally became person and God at the same time. And what happens is there's kind of a covering of Jesus' godhood at times. 
right? The disciples walk among Jesus, but they don't see him as the glorified Christ. They don't see him in all of his majesty. But there's, that's going to change because as verse 2 says, after six days, six days after Jesus tells them this, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, and he led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could ever bleach them. And there among him appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. I'm going to stop there. This is the moment that Jesus was promising in verse 1. He said, some of you are going to see me fully in my power and majesty. And this is what happens. He takes Peter, James, and John, the three closest disciples, and he brings them up a mountain. And this is the exact same experience that Moses has back in the book of Exodus, where he takes Joshua and Aaron and another guy, and they go up the mountain together. And God reveals his glory to Moses. You remember Moses comes down the mountain and his face is literally shining. People are scared to look at him because his face reflects the glory of God because he's become so close to God on that mountaintop experience. He wears a veil over his face to prevent terrifying the people. And so Jesus goes up the mountain and instead of God appearing there, Jesus is revealed as God. Right, The radiant light that, that Moses experienced that, that was so blindingly bright is seen on Jesus himself. The disciples are witnessing the glorification of the Son of Man. And this moment happens and then all of a sudden Jesus is now radiant white and wearing dazzling clothes and it's a pretty, pretty impressive moment. And then two other guys show up. And if you're not real familiar with the Old Testament, you may not understand the significance of these two guys. But one of them is Moses who is the like most important figure in Old Testament history. Him and Abraham probably are, are one in 1A. Moses is the lawgiver, right? As I said, Moses went up the mountain. He came down with the Ten Commandments. You've seen the movie of Charles and Heston, right? No shirt, got the Ten Commandments, five in this arm, five in this arm. He's ready to do business on the Israelites. He's the one who God said, this is how you fulfill my commands, Right? This is exactly what you need to do to be righteous. This is exactly what you need to do to be holy. If you do these things, you and I will be in a good relationship. Moses is the law giver. God gave Moses the law. The second guy is a guy named Elijah, and I love Elijah. He's one of my favorite Old Testament guys because Elijah doesn't really mess around. And Elijah is the prophet of note in the Old Testament. He's the most important prophet in the Old Testament. He's the guy who uh, he commanded that it wouldn't rain, and it didn't rain for a period of three or seven years. My mind is, is, is going foggy there, but for a period of years it didn't rain, and then when he commanded that it would rain, it poured out rain. He's the man who stood on a mountainside uh, with a you know, hundred prophets of, of false gods prophesying, trying to get their God to bring down fire. And then he looks up to heaven. He says, hey, God, will you burn this thing up? And God sends fire down and burns up not just the sacrifice, but the stones and everything that was there. Elijah was a man of great power, but he was a, a picture of the prophets. And so you have the man who gave the law and you have the man who was the prophet. And if you know how the Old Testament is talked about, Oftentimes, Jesus will say, I didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. Literally on the mountainside, you have the law and the prophets, and then you have Jesus Christ. 
And so when Peter and James and John are there, they're witnessing this conversation. I don't know what they talked about exactly. I mean, that would be some small talk, right, between Jesus and Elijah and Moses. It would be an interesting conversation. But Mark doesn't record that, so we can just make it up, I guess. No, we won't do that today. But we don't know what, what the conversation was about that happened on that mountainside. But as it was going on, Peter, the disciple who is the most impulsive disciple that we have, Peter is oftentimes the disciple that I most readily identify with, right? His foot goes in his mouth before he knows that he's begun stretching, right? He can do it really quickly. Peter looks at the situation. He's like, I've got Jesus transfigured in the glorified state. I've got uh, Moses. I've got Elijah. And he's like, look, guys, um, in verse what? Verse, verse 5, he says, uh, Rabbi, that he's talking to Jesus, it is good that we're here, right? Like, it's a good thing we came here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now, we don't know exactly what Peter was trying to accomplish here. We just know that Peter doesn't handle silence well. Right In that moment when he's looking around, he's like, I don't know what to do. I'm just going to start talking, and I'm going to see what happens. Right, And some of us, that, that's how we handle life. You get in an awkward situation, and everyone starts looking around, and you're like, so how about Trump? And then, like everyone, like then, then it's all bets off, right? Because because everyone's got a strong opinion there, right? Right? Like we don't know what to do, so we just start talking. Peter didn't know what to do, so he offers. He's like, "Hey, it's a good thing I'm here, because like I can I can build some tents. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to build a tent for Jesus and one for life. Maybe he wanted to keep them there longer, like to give him a spot there. Maybe he's referencing back to the tent of the Old Testament, the tabernacle, uh, and how like God dwelt in tents uh, back in the time of the, the Exodus, and from then until the temple was built under Solomon." Maybe he's referencing that and saying, I'm going to build a holy place for each of you. But regardless, he didn't understand what was happening. He didn't understand that Jesus Christ was uniquely different than the other two guys. You know, when, when Elijah's described and Moses is described, they aren't described like Jesus. Right? You have Jesus, dazzling white, shining out the glory of God. It's a different take. And then you've got, oh, and then there's Moses and Elijah, two regular people. Right, holy people, special people, sacred people, but they're not the same as the glorified Son of God. And Peter doesn't put Jesus above them. He's like, oh, I'm just going to build three places here for you. And you three guys can live here. A lot of us are like Peter, right? When we don't know what to do, we just start talking. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge you today. This is, I've shared this story before about my education pastor whenever I first started ministry. A guy named Rick Ellis. But Rick was, would, would take any question... And he would think before he spoke for 30 seconds. I swear it was 30 literal seconds. So you could say, Rick, what do you want me to do with this thing that, that he assigned me to do? I was like the, the intern underneath him. I said, what do you want me to do with this, this, this form I'm, I'm working on for you? And he would sit, and, and I could count it out. He would just sit and think. And then he would explain what he wanted to do. And 30 seconds is forever. Like, if I stood up here for 30 seconds and went silent, you guys would feel very uncomfortable. I, I would feel very uncomfortable, right? 30 seconds long, and, and he would just he'd be slow to speak, and that's what he said. I'm slow to speak and quick to listen. And so he, he practiced that everywhere it went. I, I want to challenge you to do that today, right? When you find yourself in a situation and you don't know what to say, just don't talk. This is really for me, Okay. But, but, but maybe it works for you too. When you find yourself in a place and you don't know what to say, don't talk. Because sometimes when we're in awkward situations and we choose to talk, 
We don't help the situation. Right? I, I walk into some situations and I don't know what to say. I've done a lot of um, grief calls, more than, more than I want. I had lunch this week. I was in Malakoff, uh, spent some time up there doing some off-site work, and I had lunch with the pastor at my parents' church, First Baptist Malakoff. He said he's done 100 funerals in seven years. And I'm, and I'm not there. I'm not on that pace. Praise the Lord. But, but I've done my share. And, you know, when you walk into that situation, right, you don't, there's, there's not a lot to say sometimes. It's okay to not talk. And so I want to challenge you today, guys, when you find yourself in a situation when silence is the right answer, just be silent. Right? Learn from Peter, because Peter's rebuked in a different, not, not in Mark, we don't get the rebuking of Peter, but in another passage, the parallel passage, Jesus rebukes Peter for, for doing that, right? So, so it's okay to not know what to say. Don't make it up. Just, just be silent. It's okay. So, so Peter, Peter it says he didn't know what to say, for they were terrified. Verse 7 says, And then a cloud overshadowed them, uh, and a voice came out of the cloud. This cloud is the, 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 the presence of the, we'll say the first person of the Trinity, God the Father, the, the creator of heavens and earth. And so the Father comes there in the cloud. It's the same picture you get in the Old Testament where God speaks from the cloud. Uh, and, he, and he overshadows them. And this is what God says. He says, this is my beloved son. These are the exact words that are said at the baptism of Jesus Christ. If you were to go back to Mark 1 or 2, wherever the baptism is, Jesus goes under the water, uh, and, and, and there's a, there's a, a dove-like figure descending, and God says, this is my beloved son. And that's kind of the point where Jesus is marked out. But right after that, here, God says one more thing. He says, listen to him. See, I asked you at the beginning, what's the authoritative voice that we need to pay attention to? What's the voice that needs to be louder in our heads than every other voice? It doesn't need to be Uncle Lindell. It doesn't need to be your mother. I love you mothers. It's Mother's Day. I'm not here to bash on you. I have a tremendous mother. Uh, she, 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 I love her dearly. I have a wife who is a tremendous mother. Uh, kids, listen to your moms. They're, they're, they're amazing gifts to you. But the authoritative voice is not Uncle Lindell, it's not your mama, it's not your daddy, it's not your preacher. It's the voice of Jesus Christ. And when Jesus is there on the mountaintop with Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets, the embodiment of the Old Testament scriptures, God sets Jesus apart and says, listen to this guy over everyone else. Over all the noise out there. Some of us, we have some bad noise inside of our ears. We've got things going on between our ears that people don't hear. People don't know the voices that we listen to that take charge of us, right? Voices that tell us that you can't do this or you're not worth that. Voices that tell you you're never going to be as good as probably your brother or sister, right? Because those are the people who we find ourselves comparing ourselves to. We have these voices in our heads, but the voice that should be loudest in our head is the voice of Jesus. That's the one that we listen to. Disregard the other noise and listen to Jesus. Jesus does some interesting things, right? You have Jesus and he gets in trouble with religious people all the time. And the religious people break out Moses' law or the words of the prophets. And they say, look at how Jesus isn't fulfilling what God has said to do. But God has said to listen to Jesus. When Jesus speaks, to interpret the Old Testament, he's right. 
He's never wrong. So when he heals someone on the Sabbath and the Pharisees and scribes get angry at him because he's not measuring up to what they think should be done on the Sabbath to keep it holy and to honor it. And Jesus says, you've got it wrong. We honor the Sabbath by doing these things. Right? Jesus is right. His words matter. So there's two things that we have to do with this glorified Jesus. The first thing is we have to look on him. The first thing, when Jesus was glorified, the disciples saw him, those three who were there, they saw him elevated and lifted up and made glorious. And in that moment, the disciples looked at him and they didn't realize how unique he was. I'm reminded of another story in the Old Testament. God was angry with the nation of Israel and so he sent these serpents into the, the camp. Right? And you can read this story and the serpents go and they would bite people and the, the bite would be painful. Obviously, getting bit by a snake is never fun. And people were dying from these snake bites. We don't know what type of snakes they were. They were divinely inspired tormentors. And so Moses cries out to God and says, God, please relent. Please, please, please let these people live. They've done wrong. They've gone against you. They've, they've violated your commands. They, they're, they're sinners. They're bad. But please, in your love, God, Relent, and God says, do this thing. Make a pole of bronze and put a bronze snake on it, right? And lift that bronze snake up high. And he says, everyone who looks at that bronze snake will live. So you're bit by a snake. You look on the snake that God has told you to look on and you will live. And that seems like a weird story. That's why if you ever see like the doctor's emblem, right? It's a snake on a stick. Right, that picture comes from that Old Testament story where you look on the snake and you live. You're healed from this thing. It's an odd story, but it, it looks forward to the Son of God who's raised up on a cross and we look on Him and we live. The first thing we have to do with the resurrected Jesus Christ, the glorified Jesus Christ, this transfigured Jesus Christ, is we have to look on Him for salvation. He is the only path to salvation. We don't get out of this life alive, but we can get to the next life if we look on him to live. But not only do we look on him to live, we look on him as our example. Some of us, we look at everyone else for our example because when we look at Jesus, we don't want that responsibility. Right? Jesus, if, you, if we act like Jesus, how difficult would that be? I mean, your whole life is interrupted. It doesn't matter what Jesus is doing. Like, like it's Mother's Day right now. You know, I'm, I'm going to go home and uh, hopefully your husband is going to make you lunch, men, right? Or buy you lunch or something, right? But uh, right, you're, I'm going to go home and my, I'm going to have all these things. If you're Jesus and it's Mother's Day, I guess, I don't know what Jesus doesn't get Mother's Day. I don't know what day he gets. It's Jesus Day, right? And you, and you go home and you think, man, I'm going to have a big celebration. It's going to be all about me. Someone's going to be there asking for something everywhere he goes people are asking for stuff my kid's dying this is going on i've got a fever i've got a rash i'm throwing myself into the fire all the time his life is constantly interrupted but he is our example someone who looks at interruptions as opportunities to do ministry but we're selfish i say we i'm selfish you maybe y'all are all selfless great people i'm selfish right i i, I like me time right i like to, to, to take care of myself but Jesus constantly about other people. When we look at Christ, we're not just looking at him for salvation, though. He is our example. The way he loves selflessly. The way he puts the needs of other people above his own. 
The way that he consistently keeps God's words in his mouth and those are the words that he shares. Oh, if that were true of us. We look on him for salvation. The second thing is that we listen to him, just like it was commanded there by, by, by God. Listen to him. Not only do we look at him, we listen to him. And that means that we understand that what Jesus did is the fulfillment of God's word. When we read the New Testament and we read the words of Christ, we are literally reading the words of God telling us how to live our lives. And those words are challenging, those words are difficult, those words are complicated, but they are words of life. And so we listen to those words. And when Jesus speaks of us, like I said earlier, we listen to what he says. You know, throughout the Bible, God calls those people who are his beloved, well-loved people. But, you know, inside of our minds, you know, this mental state that we have, and and it's not just here, it's it's probably going on for a long time, but depression and anxiety, and uh, I dealt with youth ministry for a long time, so teenagers going through who am I, and peer pressure, and suicide, and bullying, and all the stuff that's in our world. Guys, that stuff can be solved through a right understanding of who you are in Christ. It really can. I'm not, I'm not saying some of y'all need medicine. To, some of y'all really do need, need, need to have a little bit of a help to get through with depression and anxiety. It's a real disease. But man, the words of Christ should be the backbone behind that. Don't solve it with a little pill. right? You can solve it with a little pill, but then behind it, fill yourself with the words of Christ because you are precious to God. When God created the world, right at the end of creation, He said, this is very good. You you, dear Christian, you're very, very special to God. He loves you tremendously. He loves you enough that, as it says in John 3, 16, right, that, that he, he came to the world so that, so that he would die. And if you'll believe on him, you don't have to. But you'll have eternal life. Right? The, the promise of Jesus is a promise of love. He didn't do that for garbage. And though you are wicked, and though you are a sinner, and though your best efforts are oftentimes not that good, right? He loves you so much because you have so much worth and value. Don't listen to people who tell you otherwise, right? Don't, don't, don't let the voices in your past define who you are when Christ has already told you that you're his beloved. And the other thing you need to recognize is as we listen to Christ is that we listen to what, what he commands and we do it. And so we, lo- we look on Christ and we listen to Christ. And as we do those things, we're going to experience a life that's different than what we've experienced before. Because our life will be like totally molded through the love of Jesus Christ. I want to challenge you today, church. Get to know Jesus. Right? He's, he's revealed himself throughout the entirety of the scriptures, specifically in the four Gospels. We have the account of Jesus' life. Get to know that man. Spend time with him. Right? You should be reading God's Word. I, I tell you this often. You should be reading God's Word regularly. One of the reasons we read it is because it's truth for us. And it helps to shape us. And so that when, whenever other things come against us, we can, we can look back on him and what he says as truth. As the glorified Christ was elevated above all, he was brought above all other things at the Mount of Transfiguration. And and, and when he was brought above all things, there were two simple commands, right? Look on him and live 
and listen to him and thrive. Some of you are living and not thriving. And I want to encourage you today. Listen to what he says. He has a good plan and a good purpose for your life. And I'm not saying it's all going to be roses. But I am saying you are loved by the maker of the world. Listen to what he says today. Let's pray.